Please turn in your Old Testament to Haggai chapter 2, verses 19 through 23. Haggai 2, 19 through 23. And this is the word of the Lord that came through the prophet Haggai and still comes to us fresh today. Verse 19 of chapter 2. But from this day on, I will bless you. The word of the Lord came a second time to Haggai on the 24th day of the month. Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I am about to shake the heavens and the earth and to overthrow the throne of kingdoms. I am about to destroy the strength of kingdoms of the nations and overthrow the chariots and their riders. And the horses and their riders shall go down Every one by the sword of his brother on that day, declares the Lord of hosts. I will take you, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord, and I will make you like a signet signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. We finish the book of Haggai today, and if you have not been here for the whole study. It's been quite an interesting study. I mean, God has just opened up several spiritual insights for me as we've gone through this little-known minor prophet, Haggai. If you weren't here, God sent the prophet Haggai to call his people out on their selfishness. God had sent them on a mission, and the mission was to fully give themselves to him and rebuild his house, rebuild his temple in Jerusalem. One scholar summarized, and I love this, the first chapter, misplaced priorities and the homeless God. I like that. Not that God dwells in, like in a box or something, but God said, rebuild my house. God did not have a house. He wanted the house for them to be able to worship Him, to, for them to be able to live in the midst of His glory and have the sacrifices and, and, and all that He had given them formerly. And these were incredibly devoted people to God. You know, these were the the 5% of over a million Jews in Babylon that had lived through the exile, roughly 44,000 Jews who said, I'll go, I'll, I'll give my life to go rebuild the city. I'll give my life to rebuild the house of God. And they got going and things were moving well. And somewhere along the way, and there's some story there that I won't tell, when the foundation had been laid, they gave up. But worse than giving up, they turned their focus from the kingdom priorities to themselves. And in chapter 1, we hear this, this indictment over and over and, and this, this word that sounds so pretty and it is so stinging because it is so pretty. You live in your fine paneled houses, says Haggai. Your fine paneled houses while the Lord has no house. And they had actually taken the building material set aside for the temple itself, exquisite cedars of Lebanon, and built their exquisite paneled houses. And they decided it was fine for God to be homeless. They had what they needed. They could be spiritual on their own terms, you see. God began to strip away things from them. 
God began to strip away their well-worked-out lives and the crops failed and other things failed. That is when the prophet Haggai was sent from God to them to say, turn away from living for yourselves to me. Rebuild my house that you might worship there, that you might live in the presence of my manifest glory. Now the good news is, Haggai, this this little book of Haggai, is the only prophet in the Bible sent by God where he declared the Word of God and the people heard the Word of God and they obeyed the Word of God. They actually repented and turned back to God. There's a section right before this section that uh, we learn was spoken. It's kind of cool that there's four oracles, four sermons that Haggai gives. It's cool that the exact dates are given for this. This is December 18th. 1520 B.C. basically recapped what I just told you, their sin, and recapped their repentance and ends with these incredible words. Verse 19 of chapter 2, the first verse of our text, but from this day on, I will bless you. They turn back to the Lord. And then it says that God spoke to the prophet Haggai later that same day. And so we have a second oracle on December 18th, 1520 B.C. And basically two things are being said to them and to us today. And we'll end the book with these two things. Hold on loosely to things that are not permanent. Don't hold on too tightly. Hold on loosely to things that are not permanent. Secondly, hold on tightly to a kingdom that cannot be shaken. The first is, hold on loosely to what is not permanent. This is verses 20 through 22. Of course you've had something lost that was precious to you. Of of course every one of you have had something taken away from you, right? Was it traumatic? Well, you say... Some of it was traumatic. Some of it wasn't traumatic. May I suggest what was traumatic are things that were taken away from you or me or that you lost that you were clinging on to and holding on to very tightly. And they were ripped away from you. This is what is happening in this particular book. The the level of trauma depends on how important this thing is to you. How tightly you're, you're, you're wrapping your heart around it And you know, we tend to be defined by the things we hold on to the tightest. I remember a story about a man in San Francisco whose brother was lost in the USS Arizona on Pearl Harbor, uh, the Pearl Harbor attack. And what's interesting about this man, he never married and he died in his 90s. Nobody knew him. He didn't have any friends. He just lived in the same apartment, paid his rent. And um, he died in his 90s, and what they discovered in his house, this is wild, is that he had changed nothing from the day he lost his brother in Pearl Harbor. He felt like, because he loved his brother so much, and it was so traumatic, he felt like to actually go on with his life would dishonor his brother. He never was able to let go of his brother. 
And it just defined his life, just, just ruined his life. Now, that's hyperbole, you know. I mean, most uh, of our holding on to isn't that creepy and that desperate. We all know the person who just holds on too tightly to money and things. And we all struggle with all these things, right? But we know this, and they really are getting their meaning for life from things. And you know what we know about a person that just wraps their hearts around money and things? This is what we know. They're never content. And they're identified with the very thing that's killing their lives. Jesus put it this way, where your treasure really is, there you'll wrap your heart. There will your heart be also. We've seen the parent who, uh, whose identity literally is their children. And it's just miserable for the parent and the child. <laughs> it's just hard to live under that microscope, hard to live under that micromanagement, and it's all about the parent, you see, because the meaning isn't the child's life, it's the child's life that reflects on the parent's life. When the child succeeds, it's never enough. It's time to go to the next level. It's time to, to shine my, my parental parent of the year badge even with more luster, you see. Let me tell you something. That scenario only gets more painful in the adulthood of that child. The parents holding on too tightly. They are being identified with what they hold on to. And we've seen people who desperately hold on to a boyfriend or a girlfriend and on Facebook, it's a picture of the boyfriend and the girlfriend. And this is the new meaning for the life. As, as one lady talked about her, her crush, her boyfriend in, in, in college to me, I love the way I'd never heard anybody say, he was my sun and my moon. Well, don't let that relationship define your life because it's probably not even going to stay around. Don't even let, hold on to your husband or your wife. For ultimate meaning in your life. If your reputation is the thing you desperately hold on to, you will live in fear. You will. Or anger. I think we get this. So let me ask you a question this morning. What are you holding on to so tightly today that is not Jesus Christ? What is your heart wrapped around today? Look, it's okay to hold things. We gotta hold things in this world, right? We gotta how about the word handle instead of hold? We gotta handle money. We gotta handle relationships. We gotta handle children. The the trick is to be able to see those things in their proper perspective, handle them to the glory of God, not hold on to them as if our life depended upon them. What if God said that none of that finally has ultimate meaning what if god said that all of those things will be taken away from you sooner or later he said that and he said that right here in the closing verses of haggai god he says is going to shake the nations 
overthrow everything and destroy everything that's not His kingdom. It's all going away. All the things that pretend to be power, all the things that pretend to be of ultimate value will be shaken and it's all going away. Verse 21, I am about to shake the heavens and the earth and to overthrow the thrones of kingdoms. I'm about to destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the nations and overthrow the chariots and their riders and the horses and their riders shall go down, every one of them by the sword of their brother. And what's so neat about this is as Haggai talks about the future, he grabs some, some metaphors from the past, doesn't he? You know, kind of that famous song in Exodus 15 of, of you know, and you've, we even had a song in church a while back, you know, he has triumphed gloriously, the horse and rider thrown into the sea, that the God himself opened the Red Sea and the, the Egyptian armies, the nations drowned in the Red Sea. That's what you, you see, the, what that, that's what that looks like here. Do you see it? The horse and the rider shall go down, the chariot shall be overthrown. And then this, this idea about how brother will, brother will kill, the, the, the enemies will destroy themselves. It reminds us of what happened to the Philistine army in the book of Judges. It reminds us of what happens to Sennacherib, happened rather to Sennacherib's army in the time of Hezekiah. That God's just greater. That you can't stand up to God and it's all, all this pretense of power and ultimacy will not survive the shaking. This is finally, and it certainly has to do with the first coming of Jesus as Messiah. It has something to do with Acts chapter 2 and the Spirit of God coming and the place in Jerusalem being shaken. But finally, this has to do with what they called in the Old Testament the day of the Lord, what we call the second coming of Christ. The day the Messiah will defeat his enemies and he will shake the earth. Those things, whatever they are, whether they're people, whether it's power, all the things we described earlier on a personal level, those things we know, we know in our hearts they cannot deliver ultimate meaning, don't we? Go ahead and do this. Yes, we do. (laughs) And look, whether Jesus comes back in your lifetime or not, you're not taking any of it with you. Neither am I. Haggai cries out from December 18, 520 B.C. to us today, if what God is saying is true, we need to re-examine what we hold on to tightly. We need to re-examine our kingdom priorities. What are we functionally living for and why? You see, those people building their houses out of the temple's materials, they still said, oh yeah, we love the, the Lord. We're the ones who came to, to here. We're like the Marines of God, the special forces of God. What are we living for functionally and why? The most repeated command of chapter 1 when all this about the panel houses and God's homelessness is brought out is consider your ways. Consider your ways. Look at your priorities. Is it God or is it you? Hold on loosely to temporal things. Handle them. But but don't hold on to them with your hearts because if they become ultimate things to you, they will diminish you. 
They will destroy you. One teaspoon at a time. One dollar at a time. One business transaction at a time. One A plus at a time. Whatever it is. And you will be defined by them. And God will separate you from them and me. So hold on loosely, he says. Now, may I say, this is actually good news. From this day forth, I will bless you. I'm going to shake the nations. You've already turned to me here in the book of Haggai. You've got this. We, we are together. Don't you worry, you see. This is wonderful. But the second thing is, is make sure you hold on tightly to the things that last forever. Hold on tightly to the kingdom that cannot be shaken. Verse 23, on that day declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord, and I will make you a signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. The kingdom of God here. And, and, it, and its ultimacy and its triumph is put in terms that a, you know, 4th century B.C. person could understand easily, but a 21st century American would not. It's been put in terms of a signet ring. A signet ring is a ring, like a ring, let's call it the ring of the king, all right? It's the ring of authority. And back then, there would be a law written or a transaction done. It would be in a clay tablet in the B.C. era. And the signet ring would go down, and there it is. That is happened. The king has said, that has happened. This law is for real, and it must be obeyed because the signet ring is the symbol of kingly authority. Later, you know, these things were written on papyri or scrolls, and then they were fastened. The scrolls were kept, you know, scrolled with a wax seal, and, and, when it, and when the wax was still warm, the signet ring would go down into the wax. And there it is, the official authority of the king. This is about the promise of a Messiah who has all authority in heaven and earth. This is about why you can wrap your heart around God knowing that when He shakes the earth, you're going to have what lasts forever because you have the Messiah now. The Messiah who has all this authority, who would enter time and space and say, the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is now. All these miracles, all that was going on. And then the second coming, where Jesus and His heavenly hosts will return and nobody and nothing will be able to withstand the, the great and terrible day of the Lord. That's what it's called in the Old Testament, I'm sorry. The great and terrible day of the Lord. The most wondrous day of the Lord, if you know Him. You see, this is either really threatening or really amazing depending on what your heart trapped around, depending on who your Messiah is. He would defeat our sin on the cross. He would defeat death itself in the resurrection. He would ascend to the right hand in power 
and in glory he would come again. He is the signet ring of the Trinity. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Zerubbabel, who is the governor at this time over them, represents something very important. It represents the resumption or the resuming of the line of David in Israel. It represents the resuming of the line of David, that is the line of the Messiah. This is about not just Zerubbabel and the fact that God is going to bless him. This is about the Messiah who will have all authority in heaven and earth. In fact, obviously that, that was the, uh, the Davidic line was interrupted and certainly interrupted by the Babylonian exile. You go to Matthew chapter 1 and Luke 2, but in Matthew chapter 1, you read these words. This is a part of the story of the Messiah. This is so cool. Verse 12, Matthew chapter 1. You know, we have the, the genealogy of Jesus, right? Remember, you, O Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, right here in the genealogy. Here's the story of the Messiah. Verse 12, and Shealtiel, the father of Zerubbabel. And Zerubbabel, the father of Abiud. Who's the father of? Who's the father of? This is about the Messiah, Jesus, and his kingdom that cannot be shaken. Hold on to him. Make his kingdom and his glory your most important ultimacy. Now, I would like for you to, if you have a Bible, turn to Hebrews chapter 12. There are Bibles in front of you in the chairs. It would be really interesting for you to see this, okay? This is the only place where the book of Haggai is quoted in the New Testament. It's pretty amazing. It's, it's Hebrews 12. The book of Haggai is quoted in verse 26, but before I get to verse 26, I want to start by the identification of Jesus as this Messiah that's mentioned in Haggai by reading Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, then we'll go to the quotation of Haggai, all right? Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, here's the way, here's the way we wrap our hearts around the kingdom. Let us also lay aside every weight and every sin which clings so closely to us that we cling to. Let us run like they did, with, the, with endurance, the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who, Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God, signet ring. You got it? The Messiah died for us. The Messiah brings us to Himself and He defeats sin and death and He is all authority at the right hand of the Father. And then let's go to verse 26, which is the only quotation of Haggai, and it's our text today in the New Testament. But now He has promised, I'm just going to start there, Yet once more I will shake not only the earth but also the heavens. There it is. Direct quotation of Haggai. Yet once more I will shake the earth and also the heavens. The phrase yet once more indicates the removal of things that are shaken. Meaning 
Things that aren't about the kingdom of God are dispensed with, done, destroyed, removed in the shaking. All right? Let me go back to 26, and I'll quit explaining as I read and just read. I know it's irritating sometimes. But now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken. That is, things that have been made in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us wrap our hearts around God. I just did it again. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Hold on to the kingdom that can't be shaken. Hold on to the Messiah with the signet signet ring. But you know, the prophets weren't just sent to call people out on their sin, were they? They were sent to call people back into the arms of Yahweh. Let me say that again. I think we get the idea the prophets were just there to kind of flail and thus set the Lord and call people out on sin because rarely did they actually turn from their sins. Prophets weren't sent just to call people out on their sins. They were sent to say, turn back to the arms of God who loves you. And that is what God is saying to you and to me through the prophet Haggai today. What are you holding on to tightest in your life? What have you wrapped your heart around functionally in your life? Finally, today as we move to this table, we need to remember that Jesus is holding on to us. The risen and reigning Messiah says to us who have put our trust in what He's done rather than what we try to do to be acceptable before God and have a relationship with God. He is saying to us, you are mine. You are mine. I love you. I've got you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will never turn you loose. Whatever you've gone through, whatever you're going through right now, God's saying to you through this table, I am here. I am here. I am worthy of your holding, worthy of your hearts. I am worthy of your embrace. I'm worth being held on to. I want to point out one last thing. The closing words of Haggai. If you go back to Haggai chapter 2, it uses this name for God. God chooses this himself and sends it to the prophet Haggai. This is what the Lord of hosts says. This is what the Lord of hosts says. Capital L, capital O-R-D. This is what Yahweh of hosts. Yahweh the Almighty. Some of your translations say the Lord Almighty. 
God calls himself the Lord of hosts, Yahweh of hosts, 14 times in the book of Haggai. This is the number one designation of God in the book of Haggai. Therefore, it is very significant. It means this, simply. It means Yahweh, the God of covenant love for his people, who is the God of the armies of heaven. Let me say it again. Yahweh, the, co- the God of covenant love for his people, who is also the God who is unstoppable. The God of the armies of, his, of heaven, the armies of his angels, the Lord of hosts. It means that God who loves you is God Almighty. It means that God Almighty is the one through this table that we will remember is holding on to you. So you can turn to Him today and remember Him and commune with Him. Let's let Haggai have the last word. As I read the last verse of the prophet's book. Let's close the book. Haggai 2.23 On that day declares the Lord Yahweh of hosts. I will take you, O Zerubbabel, my servant. Son of Shealtiel declares the Lord. And I will make you like a signet ring. For I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. Let's pray. Lord, turn us. Turn our hearts that we might handle things well and loosely and to your glory and they all have meaning and they're all gifts. But that we wouldn't hold on to them like our life depended upon them. Cause us to repent, to return, turn away from, from that lethal embrace. To you, Jesus, who we only find today are holding on to us. Thank you for that. Thank you that nothing stopped you from the cross and the resurrection. And now, as the signet ring at the right hand, God, give us great confidence as we turn to you and commune with you today. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.